0: Hey, how's it going, guys? Samson Folk here with the Raptors Weekly Podcast. And this will be the first mailbag I've done in quite some time. Really long time since I've done a mailbag. So the people from Twitter will have a chance to uh, get some cues in. By far, the most questions I've ever, uh, I don't know, aggregated, gotten. Uh, so I think that means, you know, maybe two things. I guess people were feeling more engaging today or maybe more people care about what I think about the Raptors now more than ever. That'd be pretty cool. And I also just want to give a quick uh, plug to the piece that I wrote about Scottie Barnes. It got, you know, plugged by Chad Ford, by David Thorpe. Nikaias Duncan called it, you know, potentially, you know, the early contender for peace of the year. I put a lot of work into it. It's still on raptorsrepublic.com, Scottie Barnes, and Star Power. And uh, yeah, it's basically a breakdown completely of what he does on the offensive end. Uh, almost every used possession so far this year. So if you want to read that, uh, that's on the site. So anyway, let's get into it. First question from Carmelo Drama, who is also, you know, a fantastic writer, Yasmin. She's, uh, She's part of the Dishes and Dimes crew, and she also writes over at Yahoo Sports Canada and Complex Canada. So if you're looking for great writing or conversing about the game of basketball, look no further. Quote, if you had to choose one between securing a five that can roll on screen or a four spacing six man guard, which would you choose? End quote. I would choose the five that can roll on screen, I think, because that activates um, quite a bit of other things offensively for the Raptors. And it's also a guy who, you know, roll and screen. I hope that's not all the five does because, you know, he is going to have to defend a little bit on the other end of the court. And I think as far as guard skills and initiating offense, Gary can take a little bit more. OG can take a little bit more. Even even that game just against the Bucks, what did the Raptors do in a lot of it? They put Pascal and Fred on the weak side and then gave OG empty side pick and rolls. A, for reps, and B, because they were overloading on Pascal and Fred. And so the point I think here is that the Raptors can definitely ask for more initiation from any of you know Pascal, OG, Scotty, or Gary. You can actually get a little bit of initiation from those guys. However, none of those guys can grow and get bigger. Pascal, before the last like three or four games, I think was at three point one fouls per. now he's at three point fouls per game. Chris Boucher, you can see it basically every game is Chris Boucher foul trouble. Justin Champagne, foul trouble. Pascal, foul trouble. Precious, foul trouble. Even Fred, foul trouble. And it's because they don't have a presence at the rim. They need a bigger body. And, you know, if if Cam is coming back and he's healthy because he has a broken nose now, he's not even with the team anymore. I guess we see how that really works. But (sighs) having a five who provides, you know, that roll gravity, which is super, super important. Like, you look at Darius Garland, who is a really great playmaker, but it helps in Cleveland that he is able to, you know, operate with some semblance of, like, if I give a guy the ball on the roll, it's going to be a bucket. To start that game, and I don't want to, you know, be too hard on Precious because he was awesome versus the Bucks, but his start to that game was really, really bad. The Bucks funneled the ball to him in the middle of the floor, and the Raptors, I think it was 16-3 to start the game, for that reason, because the Raptors said, okay, Precious, we're going to put you in a position where maybe you can score a little bit. It didn't happen. He ended up making some plays later on in the game, but it's just that you're sacrificing so much offensive potency and so many easy looks by not having a legitimate role threat. And I think the Raptors, just because of how many guys they need at the front court spot to defend, A, and because it would allow them to get a lot easier looks if there was a screening guy. Who could also kind of rumble to the bucket this is also why and i know this is like old hat right why i wanted Rashawn holmes in the summer and there were rumors that the raptors you know they they walked away because he wanted too many years whatever it ended up being he's making 12 million a year in sacramento right now and you can you can rate him highly or not it doesn't matter but he's he's certainly a good roller and uh he he is a good room deterrent as well so you know, obviously they're not getting a guy like Rashawn. I don't think, this year. But that's just an example of, you know, an amalgam of those skills. Something like that would be extremely helpful on this roster. But, yeah, it, 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 neither is perfect. I mean, and especially since Goran Dragic, the six-man guard, you know, the floor-spacing six-man guard, Goran has been shooting the three pretty well at the late end of his career. And he's initiated offense before, too. It is ironic, deeply, that... uh <laughs> Goran Dragic, if he were interested, appears to be the very player that the Raptors need to help bolster their uh, bench offense. But you know, we move. That's that's kind of how this thing shakes out. And also just I kind of like that the Raptors have been getting big and weird. I wrote that article about it. The Funkfest Quartet, that's Scotty, Pascal, Precious and Boucher. When they go big you know, good things have been happening. So you can get a little bit, bit bigger you can get a little bit weirder. I, I wouldn't hate that. But you need both on this team if you want to be really, really good. Second question is from NBA underscore said. Uh, has a couple of questions here, but we'll answer this one first. Quote, what is the worst postseason outcome that you think would justify foregoing a, re- a regrouping back to the lottery? End quote. Okay, so this one is interesting. You know, what sends them back there? I guess like you just paint the worst picture. Maybe the Raptors are hardly get in, you know, yeah, postseason does does the playing count if they get absolutely smashed in like a in game? I guess that counts too, and maybe you know maybe the the stars play really poorly as well, something like that. But in a series, I mean, if Pascal struggles to finish under duress and like ball pressure, and Fred does the same thing, then you know, and they get nowhere, it's tough to take so much away from just a few games in a playoff series. But I think as far as the optics, that would be as poor as it could possibly go. A sweep where Fred and Pascal don't deliver on the promise that they currently are. Like, they both look fantastic right now. And if they aren't able to carry any of that over, the momentum of these performances aren't meaningful in the postseason, then the optics of the team look terrible. And that's where you maybe say, "Okay, even if Scotty is a star on his rookie contract, are these the guys, you know, we want to pair with him? Now, I'm not that pessimistic, but that's certainly, that would be the worst postseason outcome, I think. Okay, so yeah, thanks for writing in. Next one is from Abdel underscore Taco. Quote, looking long term, assuring we're moving forward with Scotty plus the core three. How are you looking to fill that fifth spot? Is it a high level center to anchor the defense or more of a perimeter advantage creator at the two to help Fred Van Vliet and continue the long ball revolution? End quote. Okay, so this one definitely ties in closely to what Yasmin was asking about, except this isn't just like for the season or just whatever. This is, you know, looking at a guy who would actually fit really, really well. And I I am probably much more into centers than I guess the the majority of NBA writers. I still think centers are incredibly important, you know, in the regular season, in the playoffs, whatever it is. You just don't see a team win the chip without a good center. It's very, very rare. And if they are, they have to have a Hall of Fame. Somebody else in the front court has to be Hall of Fame level. That's, you just, it's really tough to win without a center. It's, man, it's almost impossible. Every good team has like a really, really strong center on it usually. And obviously the the Nets are trying to kind of skip past that. But even then, you're looking at three Hall of Fame scoring presences and Harden, what is he going to be top twenty when he retires? Top twenty-five, KD maybe top like top ten, right? So they're they're just hacking in a different way. But as far as I would like a you know a high level center, because I, I do think you know OG Ananobi, uh, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, while they do help and recover, and Scotty I think will have a great you know he'll have a great career doing that. I do think it is overzealous to some degree and the fact that there's already so much defensive talent on this roster and I think they're only at 18th in defensive rating currently you're seeing that there are significant drawbacks to this style of play not to mention you can watch layups late in the game late in any game where Pascal is trying you know through gritted teeth to finish a game with five fouls if he's the help side defender He's not going to contest at the rim, and what does that mean for the other team? Right, like the flag is up, you're racing right to the bucket, and so I, I do really value uh, a high level center for to anchor the defense, to be a role threat, to be you know a little bit of a hub on offense, and I, I think that's it. I am not out on centers. I think centers are still incredibly important. So yeah, I would uh, I would much rather a high level center than you know, the advantage creator at the two to help uh, Fred VanVleet because um, Pascal, OG and Scotty are going to amalgamate at least some form of advantage creation. I mean, Pascal is giving you tons like he's almost at five assists per game so far this year. He's 21 points, you know, and OG, he had the one really bad game against the Pistons and you know, dems the brakes. But he's pretty good at passing on the move. The, the numbers return that as well, and the eye test for me has been positive. So I think as far as advantage creation, you're looking at a team that does enough. I just want more stability defensively. And when we're looking at that, that's when you start looking at a high-level center, especially since, you know, you use the term high-level center here. So I'm choosing the high-level center. Thank you for writing in, Abdel. Uh, next one from Aima Saitama. Uh, At Saitama fan, uh, big shout out, One Punch Man. Quote, are you concerned about the heavy minutes Siakam, Van Vliet, and Anobi are playing at? End quote. Absolutely, I am. The fact that these guys go this hard for that long, like you can go look at NBA.com. The tracking data isn't perfect. It has its caveats, but the miles traveled. The Raptors are up there. And by Raptors, I mean every Raptor is up there. They run, you know, out in transition, uh, covering the ground on defense, they get after it, and man, oh man, is that something that's really hard to maintain? And especially like, you know, Pascal iso's a lot, even Scotty Barnes iso's a lot. <laughs> Fred doesn't iso that much, obviously, because that's not his game. That's not you know leaning into what he's really good at. And OG iso's a lot. It's a it's a very difficult brand of basketball, and especially since they all have a tendency to bully in some regard, right? They play physical, they play hard on the one end, and then on the other end, they just have to run themselves ragged. So, yeah, I am concerned about that, absolutely. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Next one from Rowan Hamilton, quote, what are your thoughts on the Raptors' foregoing finishing talent in place of possession maximizers? Uh, Deflections, offensive rebounds, that type of talent. Do you think this is a viable winning approach or will the Raptors inevitably have to abandon it down the line, end quote? Rowan, this is such a good question. This is, yeah, you're really picking up on what the Raptors are doing here because yes, the Raptors have very clearly, you know, gone this route because they think you can get really top end, you know, deflections, defense, you know, uh, guys who hunt offensive rebounds. You can get the top end talent of that late. Like Justin Champagny, is a savant when it comes to rebounding the basketball, especially on the offensive end. It's absurd, really. Basically, you know, I have a piece coming out, I guess when you're listening to this tomorrow, a piece on Tuesday on what, you know, what Justin is doing. And the Raptors are choosing those guys because they think those are outlier talents. And when you, you know, it's tough to get outlier talents in anything late in the draft or from undrafted free agents or from the G League or anything like that. Guys like Yuta Watanabe, you know what is his outlier talent well he's a really damn good defender and he maybe is the best player as far as closeouts in the NBA it's a weird talent to be the best at and it isn't something you see very often but it shows up in the game immediately and you say this is something that if another player did it given their circumstances their skill set would be immensely valuable so you know the raptors are definitely leaning hard on their development and they're asking Hey, if we get a guy like Justin Champenny who just rebounds the hell out of the ball and will give us, you know, six extra possessions in 12 minutes of play, can you teach him to shoot? Will he be able to not only catch and shoot, but relocate and then catch and shoot? You know, pound, dribble, sidestep, catch and shoot because you can't just stand in one place in the NBA anymore. Is Can you teach him to shoot? And they're betting on their development team and their development team is no doubt saying yes. And then when you look at guys like, Delano Banton or Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, whatever. They're very, and Scotty maybe doesn't count as much because he's, you know, the fourth overall pick. So let's just stick with Delano and Pascal and Fred. Is they're taking these guys who have these, this creation pop at, you know, the the college level and they're saying, let's try and mine that for something. But those guys are different than what the Raptors do quite a lot is, well, because A, They're obviously the Raptors, Pascal, Fred, and OG, all are outlier developments, you know, at their draft slot. And when when it comes to Fred, the the vacancy of a draft slot, he didn't even get drafted. And that's on the Raptors for recognizing that they could do that, that they had the capacity for that. It isn't just strictly taking a guy and developing that. It's being able to recognize what you do develop in-house and what players actually have the capacity to take that under you know their frame, how they process the floor, what type of basketball they play. Lots of these little things that you know actual scouts would be able to get into in a very meaningful way. And that's what the Raptors did. They identified guys who they could teach that stuff to. But not every player can be taught that stuff. You can't develop anybody into anything. And so what the Raptors have been doing is taking those outlier talents in like offensive rebounding or in defending and you get like the Alphonso McKinney's and the Malcolm Miller's and the Utah Watanabe's second draft guys like Patrick McCaw, Stanley Johnson, DeAndre Bembry. And they're just saying like, these guys defend like hell. Can we teach them to shoot? And they haven't hit on enough of it. And it's because shooting is a really, really dynamic thing to do at the NBA level. And you know it isn't just putting up shots in the summer. There's like there's dynamism to it. You have to be able to move and mirror drives. You have to have a feel for how to get open for your own shot. And with different steps taken, with different heights, uh, you know whether you're grabbing the ball off the dribble, you know where you're getting the ball at, as it's being passed to you to be set up for your shot, all this kind of stuff, you have to be a dynamic athlete and really adaptable as a shooter to give lots of volume. Otherwise, teams are going to be able to really, really negate, even if you do shoot, very squared set up three point shots at a good rate. Teams will be able to dissuade you away from those shots. And so it's it is interesting that the Raptors are trying to do this. It seems clear more than anything that they're just trying to develop the the things that they identify as easiest to develop. And that is obviously they think that you can develop jumpers. Fred and Norm are the obvious standouts as far as that comes. Pascal is coming along as well, albeit in a much different way than those two. And, you know, These are the guys who also were good at a bunch of other things too. Like Norm went to the G League when he was in the NBA because they wanted to give him those point guard slash combo guard reps and he just obliterated the G League. Like he did whatever he wanted and it's because he was a really, really good player. And Norm became one of the best, you know, quartery, tertiary scoring options in the NBA. Like he's going to give you 18 to 20 points on 60% true shooting basically over the past three and a half years of basketball. That's, that's absurd efficiency to just hand a guy over and say he's going to do this. And so it's really interesting. They have to hit on a guy, but the way it looks right now is that the back end of their roster is so devoid of creation or finishing talent, and it's because they're waiting to develop a guy who does that, and then they get that plus the outlier talent in that other you know avenue. You talked about deflections like defense and offensive rebounding and stuff like that. So that's the really interesting thing, right, is that their team for the past couple of years, the back end has looked devoid of any offense. And they ask this huge, huge burden of the starting lineup to try and carry these guys in these transitional lineups to spoon feed them buckets and stuff like that. And so with the Raptors, especially not having that many draft picks lately, just starting to refill the cupboard, you know, quote unquote, And yeah, it's really interesting because right now they're devoid of offense, especially from any type of creation off the bench. It's because they've been stacking these types of guys and this is what they've been going for lately. And man, you really feel it because the Raptors have the worst bench in the NBA. They shoot the three the worst. They they score the worst and it's not close. They just don't score the basketball, man. It's tough out there. So, you know, right now you really feel like, is it worth it? would it have made more sense to go for like a Sharif Cooper out of the draft who was available at both of their draft slots, right? In that second round, a guy who creates and, you know, he has these defensive deficiencies and he's a little bit of a, you know, a tough sell as a shooter, but this is a guy who, when he has the ball, he's electric. The Raptors didn't bet on him. They bet on David Johnson and Delano Banton. They obviously David Johnson is like that three and D mold with a little bit of a a playmaking bump and we'll see how he develops. And Delano Banton, you're basically just betting on a bigger guy who has really no threshold for what he's capable of. He'll, he'll try a bunch of different stuff on the floor and you like that as a coach. And you like that as, you know, if you're drafting somebody, you're going to figure out what they do really quickly. Nothing's going to be hidden. That's what Delano Banton provides. David Johnson is a little bit more, um, He doesn't pose the same type of, you know, brash, bold confidence and willingness to do anything on the court, especially at the NBA level. He's a little bit more subdued. But Delano, you're saying, you know, if this guy hits, we're going to have something. And that something is going to be good. And all he has to do is continue to get better at what he's good at, and maybe he gets a jumper. That's what the Raptors are betting on with that. But that, yeah, it is totally weird because Delano is a deflections guy. Delano can get to the you know, the glass a little bit on the offensive end. And he does cut, and he is a a heady player overall. But if you give him a pick and roll in the half court, he might not get past the three-point line. There's no burst. The handle is not manipulative enough. He can't get downhill on anybody hardly. And so a lot of times you're just getting stuck above the break. As an initiator, there's like no creation there. But in transition, on defense, you see the, the fit is clear as day but it's also been kind of massaged in because of the style that the Raptors play in. So honestly, it doesn't make sense now because their bench is so poor and their bench is, you know, the guys they've drafted recently, right? That's their bench. And their starters are a bunch of guys that they've either signed, traded for, or drafted a while ago. And their bench is really, really poor at what they're supposed to be doing. And so I think what I would say is that this is a viable winning approach if the Raptors had more creation talent on the roster already. And maybe in the future they will. But when you miss on guys like, right now, David Johnson is not giving you anything. Right now, Malachi Flynn isn't giving you anything. You look at the guys drafted after him, like Xavier Tillman, or especially Desmond Bain, those are guys who are giving you something, right? And so the Raptors... What they did for a long time, why they were able to make... Why they were able to trade themselves into a championship roster is because they hit on so many late picks that were immediately good and immediately had value as trade chips. That is exactly what they did. That's what happened. And they aren't doing that currently. But all it would take is for one of, you know, Champagny or Johnson or Banton to pop off, and you really have to pop off, but if they do then this all starts to look a lot better. Right now, though, it looks like maybe, you know, they, they should have went after a little bit more finishing talent, either in the draft or via free agency or something like that, because, you know, you look at, you know, Birch, Precious, uh, Banton, Utah, guys like Champagny, right? Sfi even. Um, these guys are not closing up possessions. Hardly ever. And that's why Boucher has been such a revelation for the bench over the past month. He's He's been really, really strong, so yeah, I man, it's viable if you have the talent on the roster. And if Scotty Barnes becomes, you know, a superstar in his rookie contract and it still fits the timeline of OG, Fred, and Pascal's contracts too, then this stuff you don't you don't really have to worry about. But if he doesn't, then that lack of creation, that lack of finish. That starts to show up and become really ugly, so this is a really long answer, especially considering that I'm you know I'm hedging because I really have no idea, but it doesn't look great right now, although I do, I really appreciate the question. That's a, an awesome, awesome question. Okay, next question from Scotty Labarnes quote "Precious' is ceiling, best case versus worst case." end quote. OK, so the worst case is right now, then you have a guy who's Um, a positive, no doubt, defensively, who is your best rim contester on the team, even though he clearly doesn't have much much to do with like X-outs and nexting and stuff like that. The rotations could use some work. When he's around the rim, he changes shots and does a really good job of doing so. And he is one of the most horrific big man finishers in the NBA. Full stop, Precious. You know, he'll catch a lob. It'll look really good. He'll get a dunk. It'll look really good. You know, he'll he'll kind of crab dribble into the lane and he'll hit a bank shot. It'll look fine. But the fact that this guy's shot chart looks the way it does and his true shooting percentage is still 44% is absolutely abysmal. It's really, really bad offensively. And the fact that, like, whether he's on the roll or whether he's just cutting or moving within the framework of the Raptors offense he typically does not know exactly where to be. He'll clog up driving lanes for his teammates. He'll make things worse. And that's not good. And the Raptors really feel it when he's out there. But he's the best defensive big on the roster right now. He he, And they win a lot of his minutes because of that. He helps change possessions for them defensively. So the, the worst case is right now. And that's where you get a player who's, you know, maybe coming in just under a positive. And then the best case scenario, you know, It gets really, really good if he hits on some of his, you know, not completely outlier skills, but some of those, you know, his handle is not crazy at his size, because we have to remember, just because he plays center doesn't mean he's big. He's of a similar size to Pascal. Is his handle better than Pascal's? Absolutely not. It's not even better than OG's as far as functionality. As clunky as Pascal and OG look, their handles are functional. Precious is is kind of smooth, you know, like when he's crossing over, when he's doing a behind the back, it can look smooth, but the functionality of it is not completely there. But if it is, then you're looking at a guy who can initiate some stuff above the break with a live dribble. This is stuff you see Al Horford do. This is stuff you see Domana Sabonis do. This is stuff you see Scotty Barnes do. Scotty Barnes initiates a ton of actions with a live dribble, either as a handoff guy. And Scotty Barnes probably on the season has like, 15 baskets just out of keeper plays, which is, you know, they're dribbling into a dribble handoff and he turns the corner. Precious has the athletic profile to be able to turn the corner to finish at the bucket. And if his handle stays, you know, tight enough and improves, then that means that he can be kind of a release valve as a guy to initiate some of the offense there late in games. And that's also, you know, I talked about this on the reaction podcast was that late in that game versus the Suns, Kim Birch, if he's, you know, giving a handoff late in the game, he's stuck to the side of the floor he's on. He You want Kim Birch giving a handoff from a stationary position. You really want him to screen. You do not want Kim Birch traveling, you know, 10 feet with the ball across the court to try and meet a guy coming to him. That ball could get stolen. You could be going up the court the other way really quickly. And that is what Precious, if he delivers on that, you know, that ball handling skill, it adds, you know, a security probably to the Raptors that they can run some actions like that. It makes it more dangerous because teams can't oversell on the handoff if they know that the keeper has something to do with it, that there's a little bit of downhill pop. And that's what Precious might be able to do. The three-point shot, if it if it gets to a point where he can catch and shoot, you know, add an okay, like, and that's being generous, okay rate, then that's super helpful too. But, uh, you're you're asking a lot to see Precious start moving way better offensively. There's nothing there's nothing to say he won't, but as far as looking at what he does good already on the offensive end and trying to parse or glean, you know, hmm, where where would this go? Where do these skills take him? The fact that he would be able to initiate more plays. As a reliable on ball guy, and that there'd be a little bit of downhill pop off of that. That works. And he's clearly, he's explosive as an athlete. If his coordination comes together in a more meaningful way, if he watches enough film and learns to be, okay, this is what I do on the roll, this is what I do here, then he could be probably, you know, an average role threat, which given where he's currently at would be huge. So that plus the defense, he could be. You know, I don't I don't really see all-star there, but I, I do think he could be, you know, a quality starting big in the NBA. And I, you know, I don't think that's that far away for him because the defense is already really good. And when the defense is good, everything else seems like money. I mean, Alex Lin has been a terrible, I mean terrible offensive big for years, but he's a quality defender. He rebounds his position. And so he's had a spot on an NBA team Every single season. That that's why Kim Birch is on the Raptors, right? Like, does he is the push shot in a little bit better spot than it was ever before? Yeah, it certainly looks so. Can he shoot? You know, corner threes? Absolutely not. Does he give you a pass every once in a while? Sure. But this is a way below average offensive center. But he's going to help rebound. He's going to box out. And he's going to defend his position to some degree. So even though he got bought out by the magic, he had a spot in the league and precious is already there. Like if he plays at this level where he's at right now, he's got 10 years in the league. So yeah, it's uh he could be pretty good, like just below all-star level. If everything breaks, right, I think. And uh, if it doesn't, he's already a good defender. And I think he'll continue to progress as a ball handler at the very least. I don't know about the jumper. I don't know about the offensive motion, but uh Yeah, we'll see about that. Good question, though. This also brings me to Jack Health. Okay? You want to get to the top of your game? Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, getting the prescription, and shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay at home and relax. We're talking about sexual health, daily health, hair and skin. It's easy to book an appointment with any of their certified doctors. People don't need to know your business. You don't have to tell everybody and their mother about your issues, like when you go to the clinic and you mumble what you're there for. Do it all from the privacy of your home through www.jack.health and boost your game to the best it can be. If we're talking about ED and hair specifically, those get free medical consultations. There's free nationwide shipping plus... You can use your private or public health insurance. And once again, you can do this all from the privacy of your own home through www.jack.health and boost your game to the best it can be. Okay, more Twitter questions. Let's get after it. Okay, we have a question from Oren Weisfeld, colleague of mine. Big shout out to you, Oren. Keep doing great work. Quote, are you more concerned about the Raptors offense or defense as currently constructed in a playoff series? End quote. I am more worried about their defense uh, as it happens. The Raptors are a good clutch team so far this year. I think clutch offense, I haven't looked at the collinearity between clutch offense and the success of offense in the postseason, but it does make me wonder about when teams gear up, what the Raptors are going to, and even when we look at just last night, or I guess two nights ago for you listening, the, against the Bucs, the Raptors ran a ton of pick and roll, they, they are a very low-frequency pick-and-roll team. They used a diverse set of plays for them, and they mixed in a pin-down for OG, which he scored on. That was nice. They mixed, they mixed in a diverse set of looks, and they won with it. Something that was unusual for them, they went to, and they closed out a game that way. I think that's a great indicator for their postseason offense. I think their postseason defense could really struggle because you're looking at a defense that is at its best when it gets to funnel the ball into the eleventh, let's say the ninth through eleventh man's hand on the opposite team, and that guy starts making decision, when you play this overzealous, aggressive style of defense, you're going to give up stuff. And at the you know at the playoff level, teams shorten that rotation, and better and better shooters, better and better decision makers are on the opposite side of that advantage against the Raptors. I do not think this is a viable seven-game series defensive scheme. I think they'd struggle immensely. Not only do you have to be diverse in the playoffs as an offensive team, but you have to be diverse in the playoffs as a defensive team. When the Raptors won the title, they played a few different brands of defense, famously. And it asked a lot of different players on the roster. Marc Gasol was blitzing Steph Curry in the pick and roll. You know, shuttled him out to the sideline, got his hand on a pass, turnover going the other way. That's Marcus Saul doing that. But Marcus Saul always in his bag had the drop defense that made life hell for anybody coming downhill. This is why Mark was still a resoundingly impactful defender in that Boston Celtics series. The offensive side of things was a completely different thing for Mark. But, you know, defensively, he was still there. He still had it. And that's the thing, right? This Raptors defense does not have a huge diversity of looks it can throw at teams. It can't just go straight to drop. And, you know, their zone, as good as it can look for some stretches, I haven't found it to be consistent enough that it would vex teams for long stretches in the playoffs. I think that the Raptors, and there's some scheme preparedness that teams have gotten used to over these past couple of years, that's why the Raptors underperform their offensive talent, or sorry, defensive talent, is that teams kind of expect guys to dig in They're prepared to pass out. They're prepared to, you know, generate looks for other guys. And in the playoffs, the guys who are getting those looks are much better than the guys who are getting those looks in the regular season. So I would be worried about the defense in the playoffs. And uh, I'm sure there'd be some games where they really they fight through and they have these incredible games. But I'm just imagining how many breakdowns, you know. It's it's a tough ask, especially when you don't have a classic rim protector or paint defender down there to make these, you know, just the everyday drive into the into the lane difficult. The Raptors have to stop drives before they get below the nail. That requires a lot of attention from help side guys. And uh, yeah, so I'd be more worried about the the playoff defense, I think. So thanks for writing in, Oren. Next question from said once again, NBA underscore said, quote, two parts. Although we are top 10 now, anything can happen between now and early April. Do you think there will be a crossroads where they must decide between a continued push for the play-in or regrouping and preserving health for next year? If so, is there a numbered game mark that we must be a certain seed by? What is that in your opinion? Okay, end quote. Um, This is an interesting question. I think that the Raptors, they're not pushing for the play-in. I think that they'll be in the play-in realm uh, regardless of anything. I think they're pushing for a top six seed, really. Um, I think that's what they're going for. And we really do have, you know, Masai's play-in-for-what quote, right? And we also have Bobby Webster's quote about, you know, having a bunch of guys who look the same after they drafted Scotty Barnes. But they also tried to draft Evan Mobley. They really did. They could have went a different way with this team-building effort very quickly. This is marketing. This is optics that they're constantly going for. And it certainly serves a purpose for the dialogue when it goes one way or the other. But I think that there is immense value in getting Scotty into a playoff environment. I hope that they push for it. And I think that they will. But yeah, I got to be honest with you. If they're like below 500 and still playing Pascal, Fred, and OG, and they have the health and they're still below 500, and especially if the if the bench comes along and they still are losing games like so often that they're below 500, I, I do you do have to start wondering like what is what kind of coexistence does this team have if you have OG Pascal and Fred and Scotty is is close if not a positive player this year so and, and Gary Trent Jr. for what it's worth right so it's really interesting if they are still struggling immensely even with health then I think maybe you can start looking at okay. We're going to settle down. Guys aren't going to play as heavy minutes, and we're going to start looking at what we're doing this summer as far as moving pieces, doing whatever. But I don't think that'll be the case, to be quite honest. I don't have a specific seed for you or anything like that, but I I would personally be extremely happy to see the Raptors in a five or six seed. I think that would be really cool. Um, Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. Next question is from my guy Trey at uh, Heath underscore check, quote, What teams do the Raptors match up best with in a play-in game, end quote? I think you're probably looking at Charlotte, New York, and Washington, if I had to think really hard about it. Um, The Raptors did a really, really good job of containing Daniel Gafford in the last game they played against Washington. I think with the Hornets, the Raptors could really throw a lot of funky lineups at them, and especially considering how gritty Fred is at the point of attack. And, you know, especially it really depends if they wanted to put like Gary Trent on LaMelo. And that means that LaMelo is being pressured into situations. And maybe even LaMelo is a guy that they funnel towards the rim a little bit or something like that. And you have Fred tracking, you know, maybe Terry Rozier to some degree because Terry Rozier is one of the best movement shooters in the NBA at this point. Who knows what they choose to do? But I do think that the Raptors match up favorably. A, because Pascal Siakam is, you know, he's not the best player in the league but he's a very unique collection of talents and skills that not a lot of, especially when he has it going, that not a lot of players can actually keep up with. And the Hornets would have to choose between, as currently constructed, probably trying to sick PJ Washington on him or going towards the lineups that they actually prefer. And that would be a difficult choice for them. Whereas the Raptors could probably, to handle the Hornets, just keep all the lineups that they traditionally like. So the Raptors, I think, in a play-in game, would get to play their style more than the Hornets. As for the Knicks, uh, Julius Randle, there's a similar aspect, especially since he's not shooting uh, as well as last year. I mean, everybody saw that coming. They didn't see it. Some people didn't see it coming to this point. He's still a good passer. He still provides rim pressure. But there is an aspect of the Raptors defense that what you saw them do to Giannis Antetokounmpo, they can also throw bodies at Julius Randle and Julius Randle being the main hub of what they like to do, I think the Raptors have a pretty good good defensive situation for him specifically. Now, these aren't top-end teams, these are just playing teams, but I'm not I'm not so sure that Randle, Barrett, Rose, you know, that collection of players is moving the Knicks past Toronto. I think that, you know, in a pressure cooker of a game, I do think that the Raptors would be able to take them. And then Washington, you know, they started out pretty hot, they fell back really hard, and now they've kind of stabilized a little bit. And they've done so while Kyle Kuzma has kind of gotten off, and that's been an interesting develop for them. Bradley Beal is a player whose skill set does seem to be one that is a very generous translation to the playoffs. I mean, in the playoffs that we've seen him play the Raptors, which is so long ago already, you know, really, really long ago, but he looked good. He He's such a talented and compact and well-rounded offensive player that, you know, a playoff series or that type of game where the heat is turned up, it doesn't move him into any place he's uncomfortable. You know, you can you can turn him into a jump shooter, you know, which was his bread and butter coming out of Florida. But I think he's at like twenty nine, thirty percent right now and he'll hit shots. You know, he'll be a shooter and he's just an incredible driver and really has a growing you know, passing game, I think he's at like over six assists so far this season. But I do think that the Raptors would be able to blanket him enough to that degree. And especially if they're being heady about who they're running out to, what type of rotations they're making, then you wonder like, okay, can we overload on Kuzma's side a little bit or KCP? Can we make Denny or, um, you know, Rui a shooter? Can we do stuff like that? And that's that's where the game gets really interesting. But on the other end of things, I think that Fred and Pascal and OG and Gary and then Scotty and whichever of the bigs, Precious Boucher or Birch. I think that they'd be able to outscore that team. That that's where I'm at with the the Wizards. As far as like Boston, man, Boston is a really funky team, but Tatum has been able to get off versus them. He's always been able to get downhill off of the point of attack. It's an interesting matchup because it doesn't allow Fred Van Vliet to impact the player as much as he'd want to because they're running possessions through the wings. And while Fred can guard a wing and can switch onto a wing and can have these gritty possessions, it doesn't let him hound and be the point of attack monster that he really wants to be. He can be helpful, you know, as a help side defender, of course, and at the nail, true, but it doesn't let him spearhead what the Raptors are wanting to do. Those those wings have produced, you know, a lot of great looks for their teammates over these games versus the Raptors. And uh, yeah, the Raptors scheme is still somewhat similar to what they ran in that series against Boston. And, you know, and the defense is worse right now. So that's that's what makes me really wonder, like, hmm, how does this go? And, and, you know, Boston with Tatum, with Brown, they're certainly set up for to be adaptable in a, a pressure cooker game or something like that. But Yeah, Boston of that group would worry me the most. And then if we're looking at like Chicago or sorry, Charlotte, Washington, New York, I think the Raptors can handle those teams. Next one from Masai side crush Mondays quote, which two Raptors would you combine to make an Uber Raptor to terrorize the league? So this is a, you know, a fun question, but I think an easy one to answer It's Fred and Pascal. If Pascal could pull up like Fred and shoot like Fred and handle like Fred, you know, his movement skills, are incredible. And also like, you know, Giannis had that move. He was face to face with, with Pascal and he kind of pushed Pascal off. If Fred and Pascal were a player mixed together defensively, you know, at that height, those movement skills, heavy hands, he would have just grabbed and tied up Giannis in that situation. So not only is it defensively, like you get these incredibly, you know, swift and accurate hands to disrupt things, but you get Pascal's motion and like court coverage. And then offensively, obviously, you know, you have Pascal's finishing at the bucket and his ability to kind of be finesse in the post and power in the post. And then on top of that, you have the shooting, the handling, and then the mix of both of their styles of passing. I think that's the, the Uber Raptor right there. Next question from my dear friend, Zosh. She wonders, is Woji a hit or a miss? And this is via her father. I You know, (sighs) OG, you know, what is the point really of going with a nickname when the guy's name is either OG or a Gugawa, right? Like you're putting a hat on a hat, maybe You're doing a little bit too much. There's a potential there. But Woji, you know, just is like, you know, if it's Toronto, Moji was a, you know, a bit of a mogul there, made waves. OG, obviously the same thing. It's like a collection of those two things, maybe. I'm not sure. But with OG in particular, unless you're like doing Chosen One, Beloved, or, you know, the translation of what the Japanese fans think of it or the Chinese fans think of it, because when you talk about like Japanese basketball fandom or Chinese basketball fandom, the nicknames that they give players are always so interesting. But Woji, in the comfort of his own home, just, you know, enjoying a nice OG game, let the man call him Woji. You know what I mean? But as far as for me, I think it's a hat on a hat a little bit. You just leave OG as OG. It's already such a cool name. Or Agugua. Okay, we have two questions from Hoop Goose. Uh, You should follow Hoop Goose, by the way. He's great mind for basketball. So at Hoop Goose, if you want to follow, you know, a good count on Twitter. Quote: Who are some bench reinforcements you'd personally target by the deadline? And if you could make one coaching decision, change scheme, rotations, etc., what would it be? End quote. Okay, so if Drogic is going to Dallas. Dwight Powell. That's, that's the thing, right? Like if Drogic is going to Dallas, you want to get back Dwight Powell. Pretty simple. That seems to be super easy. As far as like wish casting for other guys, I would want. Everybody knows about Pirtle. Everybody and Pirtle is the, he's so underrated defensively on the one hand, but I feel like everybody knows it. It's just not talked about. Like, everybody will say, oh, yeah, Pirtle, he's like a Defensive Player of the Year nominee. Everybody will say that. But if you told them to make their list of Defensive Player of the Year nominees, nobody would put him on. I feel like his rate, how he's rated in media is purely lip service. But he deserves the lip service and the, the vindication as voters to back it up, that kind of stuff. Obviously, Pirtle would be fantastic. Rashawn Holmes would be fantastic. Marvin Bagley is like a great second draft attempt guy. See if you can unteach some of the Sacramento stuff. And then like guards, guards seem stupid to me because as I said earlier, like Goron, Goran is the guy. <laughs> Goran provides what you're looking for and he's just not playing on the team. So obviously, you know, I'm not even going to try and look that way because the Raptors are winning games now and Goran still can't be asked so the Raptors are winning games without that. i just go big and try and lean on more creation from the other guys, you know? Maybe maybe if you get a good rolling big, then Malachi has a little bit more viability or something. Maybe you get like five minutes of Malachi, that's not so bad if you have a good rolling big. So that's what I look for first, is like a good rolling big. And Dwight Powell is the guy, if Goran isn't there, if Goran wants to go to Dallas, send back Dwight, okay? We're not getting Maxi Claybo. We're not getting anything, you know, fantastic. but I guess Dwight Powell is the, the guy I would think of. And then the, the schematic change, the rotation change, that's a really interesting one. I mean, schematically, I got my wish last game. I've been saying for years, years, Goose, that uh, I want the Raptors to use Pascal Siakam more often as the handler in the pick and roll. I, I've said it in a bunch of different places. I've said it many times and for a long time long duration of time. Okay. That's, that makes me really happy that they went to that. What else would I do? Uh, I would be more specific with the defensive scheme, but also, you know, it's tough to be super specific in a team that cross matches all the time because they're a very, very uh, volatile defensive system. So how would you say, let's not pinch in on OG's drives. If Pascal is the, you know, if Pascal isn't the guy on the strong side with them, if Pascal's on the weak side, and let's say, you know, it's Fred, let's have Fred dig in because he's not going to affect shooters that much as a contester, but he certainly can contest guys digging in. Having that, you know, differentiating, and then also overlaying that with, okay, if it's like Justin Anderson in the corner and he's up and he's a hardship exemption signing, we're going to dig even harder. But if it's Buddy Healed, let's not dig. You know what I mean? Like the staying at home stuff they don't seem that disciplined with it or it's just not a part of their scheme or it's too complex, right? Because they cross match all the time. That's that's the one thing I would do. I would try and create more parameters for when they gamble and stuff like that, especially since the half court offense has gotten better since Pascal's return. In fact, you know, uh, quite good, you know, to some people. Okay, uh, next question is from Charming, now officially a Fred Van Vliet stan. Um, Charmaine Wong, quote, what has happened to Utah Do you think he can bounce back or does he have any fundamental flaws? Is he a good fit with the team in the term? End quote. So this is a really good question. Utah, you know, what has happened to him? I think it's just COVID and he's just a little bit rusty right now. Utah has plenty of NBA games where this dude is a good NBA player. If I was the jazz, if I were the bulls, I would be trying to get him from the Raptors and knowing that guy is going into my playoff rotation because he's a really, really great defender. And Supplied with good three pointers, he's going to hit a lot of them. The Jazz, you know, famously, they don't cut that much. They just want to stand in one place to provide spacing for the pick and rolls that they run. And you can be kind of a stationary, spot up shooter. And, you know, a lot of those guys make really good decisions with the ball after they get it to beat closeouts. Utah is not going to be able to do that same thing. But I think he would get enough open three point looks and has enough of a, you know, a pedigree as a shooter that he would be great there. And defensively, he would fit right in because their perimeter defense sucks, dude. It's terrible. So I think like on the Bulls or on the Jazz, Utah could be a a playoff rotation piece. I think he's good enough to do it. He's just in a, a really bad streak right now. And it's tough because, you know, you look at the way the team is constructed with everybody kind of coming back healthy. What room is there for Utah to play his style? You know what I mean? Like he he's going to be defending somebody that's either too big or too small. And if everybody's healthy, if the Raptors are playing their optimal lineups, there just isn't much of a space for Utah. So that's that's the difficult thing. I don't I don't think you have to be worried about him. Is he a good fit with the team in the long term? Probably. Like for his career, no. That I I hope Utah goes to a team where he can play like double digit minutes every night. And you know maybe there's a game where he plays six or seven, but You know, why not between 12 and 15 good minutes of defense, a guy who can, you know, shoot it a little bit, a guy every once in a while, put it on the ground and find a pass. He's not driving to the rim a bunch, so what? But Utah, you know, I don't think he has any fundamental flaws. He's just not a dynamic offensive player. Them's the brakes. Like he's not going to take it to the rim and even, you know, make a, he's not going to make like a contact layup or anything like that. But that's fine and because he he does other things really well. But it's a tough fit for him right now. That's, That's the thing. And then your other question, what is the top eight rotation for the playoffs that I would have from the Raptors? Okay, so Fred, Pascal, OG, Gary, obviously. Those four. And then, yeah, Scotty, obviously, too. So those five. Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting because if you want to reward the players who are providing the biggest bump lately... Then you go with Boucher and Precious. So two of your three bench slots are filled with big men. And these guys are going to play big out there. Now, what else are you... You have Svee, you have Delano, you have Malachi, you have Birch, you have, uh, you know, Utah. It's tough because basic roster construction says you have to put a guard in there. You have to put, like even a wing in there. But Birch ostensibly might be the best player of that group. Maybe not though. And this might sound super, super controversial. But if I have to pick eight, I think the rappers would play nine or 10. But if I have to pick eight, I'm going with Utah, not Birch. That might sound like really dumb, but that's my eight man rotation. Fred, Pascal, Precious, OG, Utah, Boucher, scotty and trent it's you know maybe that's but like eight eight is tough and that's the thing is like last night you know scotty's out uh gary is out birch is out and they play basically a seven man rotation svi he played seven minutes and basically did nothing utah even you know it's almost like a six-man rotation dude it's crazy because utah only played five minutes and he didn't he didn't do anything in his minutes either but sheesh that yeah (laughs) like a six-man rotation they beat the bucks that's wild but anyway yeah i think that's what it would be if if champagne but also like eight man i don't think you have to do eight man i think you can and you can also based on matchup you can see what you're trying to get to if somebody pops off as an on-ball guy a little bit you know as this season progresses if malachi flynn shows you anything then he has an avenue to minutes but If you're just trying to be gritty and you just want to give, you know, Pascal, Gary, Fred, OG and Scotty as many attempts at points as possible. I mean, you're probably just playing Champagny in there, too. Like, give us some minutes, dude. You know, give us some possessions. Let's see if these guys can score when they get 12 extra possessions in the game than the other team. And, And, you know, Nick Nurse did say that, you know, Champagny was knocking on the door of the rotation. So who the hell knows? But eight guys is tough and you never know with nurse because you know Patrick McCaw inexplicably was in that eight man for the Raptors and everyone was like hey what the hell is this this makes no sense but that's what he wanted to do and that's the way it shook out so yeah I think that's my eight man As crazy as sound as it sounds to leave Ken Birch out of it which I'm sure sounds blasphemous to some people okay next one is from Mark Schindler hey how's it going Mark uh, another guy who does fantastic work. So at M. Schindler NBA, you've probably heard him on this podcast before if you listen to that episode uh, on Twitter. Okay, what do you have from me, Mark? Quote, provide a minute cultural comparison for the polarity of Precious's game, end quote. Okay. Yeah, just off the top of my head. <laughs> a minute cultural comparison. Oh my God, dude. Uh, Let's see. Defense good, offense bad. What is the simplest terms to explain that? And um, uh, maybe offense is good after the defense. Okay. Uh, me hey Miyagi Do Karate. I I just watched Cobra Kai. You know that it's like you you do never offense, and so when the Raptors run like a set play in the half court, Precious will never score on that play. He he couldn't because that is striking first. However, comma. If you allow him to get a block and then run out, then he'll catch the lob. So yeah, although, you know, karate kid, Cobra Kai, is not exactly minute or cultural. Hmm. You know, hey, listen, man, I'm going to stick with it. Miyagi-do karate is precious to Chua, okay? The defense is nice, and he'll attack after defending, but not prior, okay? So that's that's what I'm going with. Uh, and who, who's, the, who strikes, who's like the Cobra Kai of the NBA? If you listen to this, Mark, I pose that question back to you, tweet it at me. Who's the Cobra Kai of the NBA? And if you don't watch Cobra Kai, then I'm really sorry. If you don't watch The Karate Kid or anything like that, then sorry, dude. I think I'd really knock this one out of the park, though. Okay, next one from Key. Is Pascal Siakam a number one option? Okay, so this is just Keenan like being, hey, you know, what do you think about Pascal lately? The number one option thing is super interesting, right? Because last night Pascal was the number one option and they beat the Bucs and the Bucs are a really good team and he helped play Giannis. Over the course of a series, is you know, is Pascal Teflon to be game planned against? I don't think so. But also, you know, the the dialogue around Pascal and like a max player and all that kind of stuff, Pascal doesn't need to be a number one option. God, like, try and get there, dude. See how high you can fly. Of course, if he gets to the ranks of, like, a top 15 player, that is incredible. That is that is a job well done. But as far as right now, is he a number one option? On some nights, yeah. Against some teams, yeah. But he's in a really good position now with Fred taking the steps that he has, with OG taking the steps that he has, and with the way that the Raptors can be you know, quite egalitarian in the way that their offense shakes out, I think he's in a really, really great spot. And the Raptors' offensive rating being top 10 clearly bears that out. Their offense has succeeded since he's come back, and especially in the half court. This is something when I did my big piece on him, you could see, like, the aggregate of Pascal lineups in the half court per cleaning glass, 84th percentile at that point in time. That's awesome. Given how much this team relied on transition, the fact that with Pascal in the lineup, they score so consistently in the half court, that's great. Your best players always, always, almost always help raise the roof of your half court offense. That is, the, that is one of the signs of a really, really impactful player. And then, you know, he, he had a kind of an up and down start defensively since coming back from, you know, his injury and all that, getting back into shape, but he helps out on defense too. And yeah, so Pascal, is he a number one option? Some nights, totally. And he's a hell of a number two or a number three on the other ones. And that that's where I really like Pascal Siakam. There is no, of course, he's providing the pressure himself to be this incredible player, but there is no pressure whatsoever. He shouldn't be considered like lead us to the championship. Otherwise, this was not money well spent. So yeah, uh, shout out to Keenan for just giving me the opportunity to talk Pascal as i will as i am want to do uh from Blake Murphy where is my magnet uh yeah i owe Blake a, a linsanity magnet it's uh something i was supposed to take to him when i was staying at his, staying at his place in toronto when we were doing the bunk mates thing and uh man yeah i forgot it i thought i i actually was going to pack the magnet the night before I left. And I thought, no, I'll just never forget it when I leave in the morning. Anyway, I show up in Toronto and I say, hey, I forgot your magnet. I'm so sorry. I've been promising it to him for some time. And truthfully, I have not sent it out yet. Uh, (laughs) But I I will be sending it out. You will get that magnet, Blake. Uh, I might, you know, try and uh, proposition it into another free stay (laughs) or something. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I'll send it out soon. But uh, your magnet is Justin Champagny. The basketball magnet that he is. His inherent magnetism. So, uh, yeah. I'm looking at these questions. Is there any more here? I have two more. Okay, from Forty and Dunking. Uh, Forty and Dunking. Big shout out to you. Always thoughtful questions. Always thoughtful dialogue on the timeline, brother. Thanks for writing in. Quote, who do you think has the best chemistry with Scotty on offense? He's been sort of the forgotten guy over his past few games. End quote. Yeah. Well, Scotty has the second most touches on the team after Fred. It isn't Pascal, actually. And that makes it really interesting is that Scotty creates his own chemistry with some players, but some players don't create that chemistry back towards him. And I do not find overwhelmingly that Scotty and OG link up for much meaningful stuff. Fred links up with everybody because. You know, he's Fred. He's got the ball a lot. And so this is where, and this is something I've talked about, and it isn't related just to, you know, how well, you know, Scotty shoots on passes from Pascal. This is related that Pascal is the best hit-ahead option. This is related to the fact that Scotty's post-entry passes and Pascal's po- post-entry passes to Scotty, they're both really good at them. Vice versa, right? Right. And the way they can sometimes pass to each other in the confines of the paint, that is the duo that I find has the best chemistry. In the realm of Scotty, Scotty, and it's not just one way. It's not just Pascal helps Scotty out and Pascal creates for Scotty. No, Scotty has a pretty good idea of where Pascal is and how to service his offense. I think, and so and, and Pascal. It's not as heady going the other way, but Pascal draws so much attention that he creates these really, really great looks. And Scotty isn't always the benefactor, but I find that Scotty is enough that I would say it's it's Pascal who has the best chemistry with Scotty on offense now, and that that's strictly half court as far as like on the fast break. Uh, Scotty makes chemistry with everybody and is just like an absolute terror. Sc- Scotty can make anything happen in transition, but yeah, in the half court. I, I really do think it's it's Pascal. And the last question from Let's NBA. Quote, do you expect the defensive rating to improve by the end of the season? They are 18th right now. End quote. Hey, they are 18th. Excellent. That's, uh, I think I said that earlier in the podcast. Okay. Do I expect the defensive rating to improve? Hmm. Yes. I think they're going to end up at 15th or 16th by season's end. That's what I'm saying. Okay. The more they play with each other, it will get better. I still, you know, as I've said earlier in the podcast, I do not prefer this scheme. I I think that there's significant drawbacks to it. And the fact that they've gone without a center, I think, man, I really think it hurts the other front court players that are currently there. The fact that they have to foul so much, the, the miles traveled, all this different kind of stuff, and the pressure it puts on everybody, it's tough, man. But I do think that they can perform better. And even in that letdown game against the Pistons, they didn't get absolutely dominated offensively. It was the offense that let them down. So their offense certainly dropped after that game, but they only allowed 103. So it's not a crazy, crazy defense or anything like that. But I do expect them to climb a little bit uh, past 18th. So thanks for writing in Let's NBA. Uh, thanks for writing in everybody. This was the best return, as I said at the top of any. Uh, any mailbag podcast I've ever done. So thanks for writing in. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, Enjoy the game tonight because you're listening to this today. So there's a game tonight. Oh, Kyle Lowry, heat. Hey, Kyle Lowry. Uh, Okay, so enjoy that game. Thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.